Hello everyone, this is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to the Bitcoin Focus Show. Today is September the 3rd, 2019. Strong hand. All right. This is a new show. A lot of you have a hard time focusing, and but you like specific guests that we've had on. Today's focus is on Trace Mayer, and I put together some clips. You're going to love it. It's easy to digest. You're going to get the full smack of Trace. And so enjoy it. Here it is. Pound that like button. Like if you're buying Bitcoin, you want the price to be as cheap as possible. You want to buy it when it's cheap, not when it's expensive. And that's really what I like to use the mayor multiple to do is, is find out, you know, when is it cheap on a relative basis and when is it expensive on a relative basis and then buy or sell uh, appropriately based on based on that indicator. And it filters out all that daily noise. It like it it helps you not get yanked around uh, by Mr. Market, you know, you're able to look, filter all that out, look at the long-term trend, and it just helps really give clarity to uh, that decision-making process. Yeah, so at least the way I like to approach allocating capital, first, I do the fundamental analysis. You know, in, in Bitcoin's case, that's the seven network effects of why you would hire Bitcoin. Then, you know, I do a technical analysis. In my case, I... I like being the the hodler of last resort, right? Like the hodler. And that means somebody that is never going to sell the Bitcoin ever, period. And that's that's really what gives the strength to the Bitcoin price. Well, if you're going to become the hodler of last resort, it means that you want to get the most amount of Bitcoins or the most amount of Satoshis as possible. Well, how can you do that? I like to filter out the long-term noise, the, the short-term noise by using a long-term trend. So in the Mayer multiples case, you take the 200-day moving average, you take the current price, you take the current price divided by that 200-day moving average, and it gives you the multiple. And you can look at that multiple every day. And, when that multi and then you can also plot that multiple over time. And uh, Preston, who came up and coined the phrase Mayer multiple, he's wrote a, wrote a whole long blog. Uh, post about it, mayormultiple.com. And what we're able to see is that sometimes that ratio will get really crazy. Like it might get a, get up to like 8x or or like in December, it got up to 3.7x. And that means that it's very expensive. Bitcoins are very expensive relative to other assets, particularly the dollar, because you can do this mayor multiple in any price ratio. You could do it Bitcoin yen, you could do it Bitcoin gold, you could do Bitcoin Microsoft shares. You know, that would be a fun one. I would love to see Bill Gates short Bitcoin in a really big way with his Microsoft shares. <laughs> you know, since he thinks it's a, a kind of not a good asset to own or whatever, or Warren Buffett for that matter. But they won't put their money where their mouth is. They won't short it because they're chickens and they know they're wrong. Uh, but anyways, you know, when you look at that price ratio and you do use that mayor multiple, then you can start acquiring Bitcoin when it's cheap. And that's really what you want to do. You want to buy Bitcoin when it's cheap and you want to sell Bitcoin when it's expensive. And, you know, if you're a hodler, it doesn't mean that you would never sell Bitcoin. You might have lots of reasons to sell Bitcoin. For example, you might want to uh, pay taxes on fork gains, you know, so you might have fork gain, you, you might have something like Bitcoin cash, you might have sold it. 
for for dollars or for other Bitcoin, and then you might have a taxable gain on that. And so you might need to sell Bitcoins in order to pay that taxable gain. And if you're using something like the mayor multiple uh, to, to time those sales, then you can end up hodling more Bitcoins. Uh, or you might just want to have lifestyle improvements, you know, the famous Lambo or whatever. Uh, uh, personally, I, I don't see much point in discretionary spending like that that isn't very useful or helpful for other people. Uh, but some people do and like, go for it, you know, get an orange one like Roger Ver, like go for it. Because when you sell those Bitcoins, well, there's going to be another hodler that's going to step in and buy them. <laughs> and so... You know, I, I really like the idea of, you know, spreading the Bitcoins around and getting more hodlers, more hodlers of last resort, because the more widely we can spread these Bitcoins and have hodlers of last resort, the stronger that Bitcoin price is going to be and the deeper that liquidity is going to be. And that's all about the first network effect of Bitcoin. And we got seven of them taking root at the same time. But yeah, that first one and the way to really be the most efficient or hodler of last resort and acquire the most Bitcoins. In my opinion, it's using something like the, the mayor multiple to time those purchases. Strong hand people, don't buy that Lamborghini. I, I'm the, I say no discretionary spend. Pound that like button. Where people just do not appreciate the risk that they're taking on. Uh, for example, uh, we talked in Denver during the panel, I talked about the Dole Foods case. I mean, this is absolutely insane. The amount of risk that people are taking with their 401ks, with their IRAs, with their E-Trade accounts, with their interactive brokerage accounts. And now the Federal Reserve is starting to raise interest rates and the European Central Bank is thinking about stopping its quantitative easing. Do you have any idea what that could possibly do to implode balance sheets across the world? Because you start getting bad debt. And then you start having counterparty risk and you start having more bank failures. And the European Central Bank, I just tweeted out that they're talking about we need to have clearer uh, guidelines for, for when we actually allow people to withdraw cash from their accounts, you know, <laughs> and not physical cash like, you know, altcoin euro cash. I mean, it is absolutely crazy. So like the Dole Foods case, we had we had 36 million shares authorized. And in the in the court case, there it came out that there are 48 million shares that were facially valid on people's brokerage statements. I mean, selling the same thing twice. And this is common practice and just the way it's done because of how archaic the, the plumbing is in that system. And so you think you own shares, but you don't really own shares. Prove it. And, and then we get to something like Bitcoin. And, you know, Benny, Benny talks about using a hardware wallet. And I think most people don't even understand what they mean when they say hardware wallet. Usually, I think what, they're, what they mean is they're using a dedicated device something like a Trezor or a Ledger, and they're using that to hold their keys in an offline way. Now, in my personal case, I think that the safest way to hold your keys is to run a full Bitcoin note, run Armory on a, on a computer that never touches the internet, something like a Purism laptop specifically. If you really wanna get crazy, disable all the networking components possible and don't even have a Wi-Fi card in it. 
which you can get with a Purism laptop. And then for operational security, implement stuff like the Glacier Protocol, glacierprotocol.org. And in this case, the Purism laptop would be functioning as your hardware wallet. The difference between the Purism laptop and a Ledger wallet or a Trezor, for example, is that you're running a like with a Trezor or a Ledger, you're running a device that is specifically made to run Bitcoin. In some ways, you're trusting that company a lot. You're trusting them not to put a backdoor in their code. You're trusting them a lot not to put a backdoor in their hardware. You're trusting that, that, that what's actually running on that USB device is actually what was intended. There were some people, they bought, they bought Ledger or Trezor wallets off of Amazon and they get it in the mail and it already has the seed filled out. <laughs> but that, that third party, that's, that's, that's making a big mistake buying it from yeah, Amazon. But, yeah, but, but if you're a noob, if you're new at this, you don't have any, that's just, you have no idea. You don't know what you don't know, right? And, and so knowledge is powerful and it's key in this, in this area. And so that's one of the reasons I like, I like Armory and Bitcoin Core. One, you can verify the PGP key of both of them. Two, you can run it on a, you can run the, on a computer that never touches the internet ever. The, the software that's generating and securing the private keys. I mean, that's powerful. And even more important is you get a lot of benefits in terms of security through obfuscation. Not that this is necessarily what you should rely on, but when you get that Purism laptop and it doesn't have a Wi-Fi card in it and it never touches the internet, well, Purism doesn't have any idea what you're gonna use that for. They don't have any idea whether you're gonna use that to secure nuclear codes or whether you're gonna secure that, you're gonna be securing Bitcoin keys with it, right? And so you're not, you're, and then you can go download the Armory software, Bitcoin Core from wherever you want. And you could actually have two Purism laptops, one that talks to the internet and one that is solely cold and offline. And then you're, you, and then the one that you're talking on the internet with, you only do that to, to talk to your Bitcoin node. And if you really want to be super ultra secure about this, you don't even talk to the internet the usual way. You get a Blockstream satellite and you hook that up to your Purism laptop. And now you've got a completely cold storage laptop that is updated with the Bitcoin blockchain. And you're doing all of the validation yourself, right? This is powerful, powerful stuff. We've now got infrastructure for Bitcoin that is totally separate from traditional internet infrastructure. That means that you're able to, to download the Bitcoin blockchain without going through an ISP. You know, so how's the NSA gonna know that you're actually using Bitcoin? Right, because you're not going through an ISP, you're downloading it through a satellite. I mean, th these are the types of things that you got to keep in mind. Because yeah, guess what? As we're seeing with with all of this circus around the the Trump Russia investigation, they are weaponizing the DOJ and the FBI against political opponents, and they've already and the Obama administration already engaged in weaponizing the monetary system by. Things like Operation Chokepoint and the banking blockade against WikiLeaks. So if you think that they're not going to weaponize this to steal people's private keys if they can, you got another thing coming. Because how else are they going to get the money, right? And so you you have to be as you have to be super ultra paranoid when it comes to one just the current financial system because 
like the Dole Foods case and the Procter and Gamble case show, they just make stuff up in terms of who owns what, and they don't have any idea who actually owns what they own. But two, the the current financial system's also completely imploding, and that we're going to see interest rates rise and counterparty risk flare its head and quantitative easing come to an end. So that's all going to be, you know, we got a whole nother round of very interesting stuff coming down the pipeline. And people just, they aren't taking into account the amount of risk that, that, that's out there. And so Benny hits on several key points with that, with that point of risk. And, you know, in my case, I just, I want to have the least amount of risk possible and then move out from there. You know, I want to find what is the, what is the asset with the lowest risk profile? What is the risk-free asset? Oh, you think it's, you think it's this altcoin called the Federal Reserve dollar that can just be printed out of thin air that we have no idea how many there are. And its emission schedule is determined behind closed doors and the source code is an open source and you can't hold your own private keys. Like that's your risk-free asset. That altcoin, you got to be kidding me. That's an altcoin scam if I ever heard of one. And so, you know, we have to reassess the landscape given the new technology and then begin making capital allocation decisions from there. And, the, and, and a beautiful thing about this is the market's going to do it regardless. And so the people who are correct will have economic gains and the people who are incorrect will have economic losses. And you can look at somebody like, Warren Buffett or, or Bill Gates, they are getting obliterated in terms of their financial performance compared to, to holders of Bitcoin. I mean, in my case, in seven years, I've had a return 7x Warren Buffett's return in his entire career of 53 years. His financial performance is abysmal given the latest technology and the latest opportunities that are out there. So, I, I mean, I don't know why people listen or pay attention to him his scoreboard sucks to be honest first you know bitcoin core software is free i funded armory which had fragmented backups like five years ago so you can do shamir secret sharing you can split keys up any which way you want you know so you've got multi-signature you've got fragmented backups and you can run it on a raspberry pi which is like super cheap you know or you could run it on a hundred dollar laptop and with a hundred dollar block stream you're talking two hundred dollars to, to validate the entire blockchain and to have multi-signature and stuff anywhere in the world because the satellite's free. Now, the other thing that he hit on, which I think is an absolute lie, is anytime you seed in any way, either validation of the blockchain or custody of the private keys, you're seeding your monetary sovereignty. That's So, so th this idea that you can seed different pieces and yet retain your monetary sovereignty, that is a complete lie. And it's intended to attack the foundations, the philosophical foundation of cryptocurrency. And there are a lot of examples throughout the history of this industry where people who have relied on third parties in any way have been completely obliterated. Mt. Gox, like, do we need to go on, right? And so, you know, this, this idea that you can, you can somehow dance between ceding custody of the keys and retaining monetary sovereignty, that's just, a, that's just a bunch of hogwash. And you've got to be extremely skeptical of anybody who tries to tell you that. And anybody that it tries to make it more costly to validate the blockchain, they're also attacking your monetary sovereignty. 
So when you try to raise the block size, when you try to lower the 10 minute, the 10 minute time frame, those are security parameters that ensure monetary sovereignty. And so whenever you try to attack those or make those less restrictive, they're attacking monetary sovereignty. And the Monero, Monero network is a great example of, of the problems that come from people who just roll over like some beaten dog and accept their monetary sovereignty being stolen from them and not asserting it. What has happened with Monero lately? Well, Bitmain wanted to create ASICs for the Monero network and the Monero developers issued a proof of work change. And so what did Bitmain do? They did five forks on Monero and then they did a 21 block reorg attack on Monero. I mean, we haven't really seen significant reorg attacks done yet in this industry, but if you're doing your own validation, that's a huge, huge deal and can help protect you against reorg attacks. And so, you know, look, I understand monetary sovereignty is not for everybody. Some people just wanna be slaves and just wanna roll over and cede their money and cede their power to other people. And you know what, that's your choice. You wanna be a slave, that's now your choice because the tools are here, they're extremely cheap, they're available globally, and so anybody who wants to be a slave, you can choose to be a slave, but don't think that you're free. And definitely don't try to misinform or lie to other people and give them a false sense of security that they've claimed a monetary sovereignty when they haven't. Here's another problem in, your philo in, in the philosophical foundation of what you just asserted. I don't feel strongly about whether somebody chooses to be a slave or not. I feel strongly about when people make assertions that aren't grounded in the reality. When somebody, for example, tells somebody that they have monetary sovereignty when they don't, when they're right. lying to them, when they're committing fraud, you know, that's, that's where I start getting emotional. And it comes out of a, a form of zeal or a form of protection of the person that's being misinformed or lied to. That's where my passion comes from. You know, if somebody wants to choose to be to be a slave, like go for it. But I want you to freely choose it. I want you to know that there are options and and know the, the what what you're really doing and know what you're really buying. You know that that's another thing. Like th this Bitcoin Cash is the real Bitcoin. Like, why would we want any type of obfuscation or any type of infringement on people's ability to freely choose what they're actually buying? Well, I want people to know exactly what they're buying. And if, you're, if your protocol is so strong and if your protocol is, is so amazing and so great, why would you want to have it be confusingly similar or otherwise be confused with Bitcoin? I mean, it, it just shows a severe amount of weakness. So I don't understand why you call it Bitcoin Cash, why you don't just call it Bcash to remove that ambiguity and that doubt so that you're not confusing people. Yeah, I think we've had a wonderful discussion today. You know, it's been wide ranging everywhere from the fraud of the current monetary system to the fraud of uh, Bitcoin Cash, not using a name like Bcash. It's not confusingly similar or intentionally misleading. Uh, we've, we've had a great discussion about monetary sovereignty, about the importance that people need to take in their own choices and in their own decisions uh, when it comes to that and not just rolling over and seeding it away. Uh, and, 
you know, Benny makes great points. It doesn't matter until it's the only thing that matters, right? It doesn't matter until your $10 million disappears. I, I mean, I have a friend that they were using blockchain.info and I told him to use Armory. And a couple years later, I get a ping on Skype. Oh, all my Bitcoins are gone. Well, those Bitcoins would be $10 million today. You know, what could have been? What could have been for them? Right. I mean, I have another friend. He, he had what would be about five, six million dollars today in Mount Gox. Uh, he got laid off over a year ago. He's been on unemployment. He's in deep depression because of that. You know, what could have been? He could have been a multimillionaire. Instead, he's like living on his parents' couch, literally. So like when you don't have monetary sovereignty, it really impinges a lot of your choices across a wide variety of space uh, in your life. And so hey, you know, that I want people to have monetary sovereignty, but if they don't, you know, that's their choice now because we have the tools and we've rolled the tools out and they're free and they're open source. And we don't, you know, we, we, we take part in this in a very open and transparent way and we don't try to mislead people or, or engage in fraud or different names or things like this. Like, we want people to know exactly what they're doing. And that's always been part of the Bitcoin ethos. And so it's been very interesting watching these other communities pop up where they value different things. They don't value honesty and transparency and clarity and specificity and accuracy. You know, So, hey, if they don't value those things, then how can you really trust them? How can you trust anything that they say? You know, so, you know, these are, I mean, that's the whole point of engaging in discussion is you build it on a premise that you can trust what the other person is asserting or what they're saying. But when you're dealing with people that just engage in lies and fraud and are intentionally trying to mislead or confuse you or others, you know, that like, why even engage, right? So, you know, this is, this is, we're moving into an era where everybody has to take personal responsibility. They have to take control over their own choices. And you just, if you're going to trust third parties, you're going to get completely screwed. Like it's just a matter of time. And so, hey, don't trust, verify. And that's a cypherpunk philosophy and foundation that we've built our entire uh, community on. We've got so many different tools. We've got, we've got so many different choices. And when we have more choices, we're generally wealthier because we can make so you know, we can choose different ways to accomplish the means or the accomplish the things that we want to get done. And, you know, for some people that's protecting their assets, for other people that's buying copies or whatever, uh, you know, so let's, uh, let's let the, you know, I love that we have all this financial innovation happening and it's, it's great. And I'm, I'm just very grateful that you've, you're taking the time to do your show and, and talk about all these things and help educate the new people too. Well, thank you, Trace. Those of you paying close attention yesterday will remember that show, how I mentioned that one a content creator can hire a person to remix his older shows and make them into brand new shows, basically. And I practiced what I preached. I didn't hire anyone, but I took an old This Week in Bitcoin show that had Trace Mayer on it, and I turned it into what you just listened to. And it's doing real well on uh, doing real well on YouTube. And I think I'll uh, I'll keep doing this. But again, 
You can do this for a content creator. You could do this for me. If you have any ideas, you can email me at adam at trezorhelp.com or follow me on Twitter at techball, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T and DM me over there. But yeah, you could take, I've got so much old content and I'm going to, I'm going to turn it into some cool new stuff. But again, I only have limited time. If I had an intern, if I had a go-getter out there who wanted to start his own channel and uh, wanted just to use my old material, my remixed old material, it would be a great opportunity for someone out there. So anyway, I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Thanks for listening today. See you later. Bye.